misrepresent behind the face of Fierce Woman. Summer for many people means hanging out at the beach, vacations, coconut-scented sunscreen, barbecues, and late-night sunsets. It also means going to music festivals practically every weekend at almost every vacant field or national park imaginable, spanning one day to one week camping trips. And while social media accounts will flicker pictures of good times and wild costumes, music festivals in the last few years have also revealed darker themes such as sexism against women artists and threats of rape and sexual assault against women patrons. For the very first episode of June and to mark the festival season, I'm very happy to present this episode of Misrepresent Behind the Face of Fierce Woman called Uproar, a special episode about women and music festivals featuring internationally renowned American Chilean singer, songwriter, and Ridosa Festival founder, Francisca Valenzuela. Also on this episode is an interview with Ottawa-based rapper and activist, Kira Lynn Furterber and lead consultant of Project Soundcheck. You'll also notice a new sound over here at Misrepresent, and if you like what you hear, send me a tweet at just call me Char and let me know what you think. And if you don't know yet, I launched a Kickstarter campaign to raise money for new equipment, such as a laptop, a recorder, and microphones. If you enjoy listening to Misrepresent and you'd like to keep this podcast going, please support, donate, and share my fundraising campaign. For more information, please check out the Misrepresent website at misrepresentpodcast.com and make sure to follow the Facebook page and follow me on Twitter at Just Call Me Char. And because this is a special episode featuring two fierce guests, Women Hurrying History will resume in the next episode. But for now, sit back or stand up or keep doing what you're doing and get ready to hear some knowledge with Francisca Valenzuela and Carolyn Ferdiber. I'm your host, Charlene Sayo, and you're listening to Misrepresent Behind the Face of Fierce Woman. In March of this year, just a few days before International Women's Day, Francisca Valenzuela launched Ridosa, Chile's first feminist music festival in Providencia, Santiago. Featuring some of Chile's biggest musical stars such as Camila Moreno and Javiera Meña, the one-day festival also included a panel discussion about women artists and the Chilean music industry. Ridosa was so successful that Francisco is currently planning for the next festival with big visions to one-day expand across Latin America. Francisca Valenzuela is a San Francisco-born, Chilean-based singer, songwriter, poet, and artist, with numerous number one hits throughout Latin America. She has performed around the world and in internationally renowned festivals such as Lollapalooza, South by Southwest, and the World Expo Shanghai. 
I spoke with Francisca over the phone while she was in Los Angeles, where we discussed the problems of the lack of women headliners and leadership in music festivals, patriarchal and misogynistic attitudes in Latin America, and not being afraid of political and feminist discourses at music festivals. Here's a conversation. Hi, Francisca. Thank you for being on Misrepresent. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? I'm perfect. I'm really, really excited for you to be on the show. I'm I actually am a big fan of your music, actually. Oh, and awesome. I, Great. Thanks. Yeah. And I, I think that what you're doing with music and um, in terms of feminism is really is really timely in terms of North America and the big festival season that's about to blow up in the next few weeks. So mm-hmm. my first question is, why did you decide to organize Ridosa this year in Chile? So Ridosa, um, I've always had this. I think ever since I started doing music, even before I did it professionally, I've always had this kind of fantasy of um, participating in a women's collective of, of sorts. And I, you know, when I was growing up, I grew up, so I'm Chilean-American, I grew up between the States and Chile, and when I was very young in the United States, I was very influenced and exposed to a lot of, you know, women authors and poets and musicians and even the little fair that used to circulate at that time when I was probably around 10 or 11 years old. Right. I remember I was very into all the singer-songwriters that were on those stages. And when, and so in general, I'm a huge fan and groupie and I feel very identified with women in the arts. It's like a natural kind of just inclination. And I think in my career in Latin America from Chile, having already, you know, in retrospective looking back and having three albums out and having almost practically 10 years of a career now and being fortunate enough to kind of develop it and have it be sustainable and have, have an impact locally, it made sense eventually to kind of put that interest to work in an actual thing. Uh, and that interest kind of sparked and aligned with a reality of the atmosphere, whether in the cultural artistic sense, as well as the more political or sociopolitical reality of women in Chile in particular, and maybe Latin America in general, you know? So I think it was just a matter of time before I had the resources and the kind of confidence to put this together and the clarity to understand what it would look like and what it would mean to put together a, a festival, even though it is the first time and it's a much you know, it's a super collective, very organic, brand-free, you know, sans corporation uh, <laughs> kind of encounter and experience and have that opportunity to share conversations and kind of explicitly and intentionally bring together women in the arts and discuss certain issues that have to do with work as well as visibilize or make visible certain issues that are happening and that are kind of being ignored. Um, so... It kind of was a whole, as we say in Chile, Mazamorra, like a whole swirl of that, uh, that, re- that, you know, resulted in me last year kind of coming together with two, two more people, two women from a collective called Sankara, kind of presenting the project to them and developing it in a very brief amount of time. Yeah, very, very brave because it, it was just last year. Now, um, thankfully, you have a collective of women that you're working with. But in the larger um, music industry in Chile, or maybe just in Chile in general, were there challenges where you met with criticisms or you met with any kind of negativity when you first started talking about organizing this? Well, what's so interesting is that I have to say, I, you know, I am a super kind of, I work kind of in an isolated atmosphere in the sense I have a very hermetic nuclear group of 
of, 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 um, of people I work with in my personal, I mean, not my personal, but my individual career, let's say, which ironically, the majority are men, have to do with crew members and staff and the band and so on. And for this project, I approached these two women from the collective Sangala, who I had met peripherically, like in social stuff, and they were the first kind of women's blog in Chile, so, and we get along great, and they do great work, and it, it was kind of a natural decision to approach them with the idea. And I have to say, whether it was talking with them initially or discussing it later on with, for example, Providencia, which is the municipality where we did the festival, we did it in a beautiful old public space uh, where they received this project and it was open to the public and it was like very near downtown in Santiago in the capital. I really didn't encounter resistance in terms of, or incomprehension in terms of the organizations that were involved and the teams that were involved, whether it was, you know, the municipality and in this case, the mayor, which is a woman. And the great thing was that the space where we did it was also managed by two women, the head of the cultural area of that municipality, that district, let's say. Um, and then in general, I think it was, it was very interesting because it seemed like a very coherent message and a very coherent um, idea, like, you know, reflecting kind of a need. And when I began to speak about it and communicate about it, whether it was press or call like my colleagues in the music scene and invite them to participate, they were super excited and it made like perfect sense. Everyone was like, oh, this makes, this is, this is great. Like, I'm super excited about this. Why hasn't this been done before? Um, so it was a really beautiful and lovely feeling because everyone really kind of took it up as their own. I mean, evidently there's going to be criticism and kind of incomprehension. If you kind of dig deep into like, you know, certain like trolling online or stuff like that. But in general, the people I think in different spaces really responded genuinely very nice and very open. And if there wasn't any kind of understanding or kind of cluelessness to the subject, it was a genuine kind of question. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. why would it be important? Which is a conversation I did have. And of course, it's probable that I didn't think it was necessary and or was a big kind of whiny event. <laughs> I have no doubt. <laughs> but in that case, you know, it's like, they just have to keep their mouth shut. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not going to listen to them anyway. No, I really, I love that attitude from you because the one thing that I really found amazing in terms of, of your vision and your position on this is that, you know, in the articles I read about the festival and, and about mm -hmm. yourself is that you didn't have this pressure to pander to a male audience. Whereas when I've spoken to different women here who are organizing, you know, all female like concerts, they are always adding this whole tangent. They're saying, oh, but we want to make this, you know, you know, welcoming to men as if that's, you know, that's always mm -hmm, seems to be mm -hmm. at the top of their minds. Whereas, in, interesting. yeah, it was very interesting. Those were just recent conversations, like I said, because in North America, particularly here in Vancouver, British Columbia, the festival season is massive here and it's going to blow up in just yeah. a few weeks. So, Mm -hmm. In my recent conversations, it just seems like the women who are involved in organizing music festivals, there's always that, it's always at the, in their consciousness, like, we want to make this welcoming to men and Attractive, appealing to yeah. them. Yeah. And so that, I, that's, I mean, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't thought about that way, actually. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I mean, I see, I see, I see what's interesting is that here in LA, you know, I'm working on a project, another similar project called Play Like a Girl, which is our monthly residency at the Echo and the Echoplex, which is this, you know, very iconic place in LA. 
and we're working with the Women's Collective, and I feel like the fear of use, of using political words is much greater here than in Latin America, ironically, wow. in the sense that there is a kind of inherent exclusion, which I feel has to do with the political correctness of the United States versus, like, I feel like in Latin America, and Chile particularly, it's a very political place. So I think that if you kind of take upon yourself any sort of cause in any way, you really kind of incorporate the lexicon, you know what I mean? And yeah. I think, like as long as you're very open to it. I mean, I have no doubt that people were like, oh, the feminazi, you know, you know, like <laughs> automatically exclude kind of the traditional anti-male approach. But the, the natural thing was that once you begin to just talk about it, like it becomes an obvious, uh, you can kind of fight that, not even fight that, but kind of clarify that in the most obvious way. And the, and the interesting thing was that the majority of the people that came was a really mixed crowd of young men and women. And in the opening speech I gave, at least like kind of in the welcoming thing and the, the stage, I said, this is basically about, you know, I was kind of thinking about the Roxana Gay approach in her, this great book, The Bad Feminist. I was like talking about basically how, you know, of course, we are aware that we are limited by our reality and this is the first encounter and the first experience and it's not meant to be a representation of the whole. It's just the first encounter, you know what I mean? Yeah. And in that sense, it's really important to kind of invite us all to to question those privileges, whether it's the the woman I am and the feminism I know or whether it's the male that I ha that has a different reality and so on. So it is interesting what you're saying in that regard because I never... I was very open in terms of it being like, of course, it's for everyone, men and women, children, adults, families, complete, you know, everyone. But it didn't. But I was very adamant in terms of using like the the, the, the lexicon and saying it's a feminist festival. It has to do with inclusion. It has to do with, you know, and, and in that in that sense, even for myself, I did have a blind spot. And I was like very concerned of making sure that I wasn't being indulgent with that blind spot. You know what I mean? Whether yeah. it was made by my biography or my career, et cetera, et cetera. I really applaud you for that because, I, you know, you made this commitment and, and you stuck with it. And I, you know, even if, if there's people who don't agree with that, I mean, I love to see that there's this commitment that's really taking place. So thank cool, you. thank you. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I hadn't thought about that way, so it's very cool to hear. Yeah, well, I think that it's just really important, you know, especially in this political climate, with everything that's going on, you know, in the United States with the U.S. elections coming up and then just even here in, North mm -hmm. in, in Canada as well, I think it's just really important that if you're going to put out something, especially if it has to do with women and feminism, is to really have that firm commitment in place. So mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. really refreshing to see that. The one thing that's also really um, interesting with Ridosa is that you also included panel discussions and workshops. Yes. Yeah. So why, yeah. why was that important? So the, the panels were absolutely fundamental and part of the idea originally because I thought that it made, I mean, for me, it, it made sense to complete, well, I mean, I guess better said, it wasn't only about having the performance aspect and the public aspect in terms of having a show where, this is what I said also in the opening statement, like, you know, for us in Latin America, there are very there are very few festivals compared to the Northern Hemisphere, like of music per se. Yeah. And then you have to compete for these slots, which is like fucking ridiculous. So that you get a girl, and they're like, "Well, we have a token girl, so we can't put another one on the set." You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, on the lineup, and so it was kind of a statement to all the booking agents and all the festivals. And this, I say, 
have, being aware that I perform in these same festivals at the same time, you know, um, that you could have a seven or eight artist lineup of tremendously powerful shows, which are all women and they're all diverse and they're all different and not, we're not all singing the same stuff and looking the same, which I think is a misconception from the kind of marketing standpoint of many festivals and bookers and the kind of overall sense of music for women by women, kind of, you know, like the genre thing that Kate Nash always used to say. But so in that sense, aside from having that statement in terms of the lineup and the programming, I did want to have the aspect of the conversation because on the personal, on the personal side, I genuinely am very interested in Adam and Meyer very much. So all of my counterparts and colleagues that work in this business, and it's been great to get to know them and hear them and discuss certain things and find we have common ground and common experiences and differences and learn from that as well. So to have a space that was intentionally built to discuss that on the one hand and build community amongst us as well as with other girls and or boys who were interested in this business as a spectator, as a possible participant in any capacity, I thought that was really important to do. And, you know, and I think also what was so interesting is that, you know, in the last year or so, I've been traveling more and performing more abroad. And I was, for example, at the Latin Grammys last year, which we were nominated. And I, I was with a whole bunch of different girlfriends from the Latin American scene, whether it was Colombia or Venezuela or, you know, Mexico and so on. And I was, and everyone's like, we're not playing enough. Like, we're not playing enough. Why are we not getting booked enough? This is so bizarre. Um, you know, and they were encountering all these problems, which were kind of normalized and naturalized as difficulties, whether it was on stage or off. And those things have happened to me as well. And I'm always thinking, oh, this is part of what it's like. But then I'm thinking, maybe it's not supposed to be what it's like. You know what I mean? And I yeah. think to have the opportunity of discussing that and identifying that as interesting. And also, I think questioning why there are certain barriers of access for women in certain areas and culture and music in the industry. And it's not only a problem of the institutions or, you know, the people in power or the opportunities handed, but it's a problem that comes beforehand. And like, what is that issue there? And in terms of Chile in particular, it's interesting because we have a super vibrant, thriving cultural scene. There's a lot of women that are leading it and it's great. And, you know, people are very organic and very genuine and very authentic. And like, no one discusses the factors that make, make your careers possible. Mm-hmm. You know, like here in the U.S., we talk about being, you know, hardworking and failing and, you know, being, having confidence and empathy or whatever. And it, like that language, almost like in a, that kind of almost civic vernacular isn't incorporated many times, even in education or discussions. So to bring that also into the mix was something I wanted to do with these colleagues, you know, whether they were in the music industry in one capacity as a musician or off as journalists as bookers, etc. Okay. Wow. <laughs> so big. Uh, no, I love that. But what I, I also really appreciate the fact that you, you're not isolating the issues that women face in the music industry, like the barriers they face from everything from getting booked to playing on stage. You don't isolate that struggle with the larger issues of sexism and patriarchy in Latin America. Whereas you know, it's it, not very many artists do that. So how, mm-hmm. how have you bridged the gap? Like, how are you able to do that and not alienate people? Or is this just something that you see is, is part and parcel of what's going on in, in Latin America? I guess it's an interesting question. I'm not really sure yet. I think it's something that kind of 
is discovered as we go. I do think that the natural bridge in a way began to happen due to associations that myself and other people in, in the kind of arts may have with political causes. So it, uh, automatically you become, you kind of shadow these people that are actually doing, you know, public policy, for example, or that are informed and marching for certain causes that are relevant to gender and or sexual identity. So in that sense, I feel like I, in my case, I have the interest and have had in practical terms one foot in kind of the commercial pop um, game, I guess. And then the one in the more, uh, whether it's like social causes or, you know, advocacy, I don't know how you would say it, you know, in a way. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of trying to educate myself in terms of being like, there are people, there are people that are very ahead in these issues, you know, not, uh, not only in the music industry, but in, in the issues that have to do with women and who are those people? And they have to be included in whatever capacity, whether it's in the conversation itself or whether it's the participation uh, and the presence of them um, and have that kind of have the possibility to unify those forces. So in this case, in Chile in particular, for example, Riosa, in terms of like a chronological thing, it, it was aligned to a voting that happened in the Congress for uh, the possibility of abortion. Abortion is absolutely legal in Chile, 100 percent illegal. And there's a law trying to pass which would authorize abortion in three kind of emergency cases. And so Amnesty International, who's fighting for that, as well as other organizations, we invite them to be present as well and have, you know, signatures and have a place where you can kind of social mediate so it has some sort of viralization. And, you know, I, I guess in that way, it's all kind of in the same mix. And I was very also adamant in it's interesting what you were asking because I was very adamant in saying this is not an an academic you know uh encounter this is not an a, a political rally this is you know this is more of a I want to say like a feminist cultural musical uh convivencia we say in Spanish like tertulia it's like the old school thinkers that get together yeah. and discuss and have some tea like that's what I my, in my mind my fantasy is that you know with music um, with music and with art and so but I was very you know open to saying like I am not I am not someone that has a master's in gender I'm not in gender studies I'm not a doc I'm not Judith Butler I haven't studied with her you know what I mean like I'm yeah. trying to, I'm, to be very clear that this is just from sheer kind of intuition and with the will of inclusion and bringing for example in one of the panels we had a woman called Carola Saus which is one of the founders of I would say the first, if not only, collective of women's art kind of projects. So they do all sorts of stuff, and they started in the '90s. And I was when I was got, when I got to Chile. I remember, you know, going to some of their events, and it was the first. They, they called them some. They call themselves the coordinator. So they coordinate these like different kind of women's spaces for expression in the arts. And I, you know, I was like, she has to be on the panel, like whether or not. I didn't know her. I had been to some of the events, but we had never met. And I was like, she has to be here. It's so important for me. You know, she's the most important reference in terms of what's been done before, you know? Um, so I guess it was just a very natural experience to begin to kind of bring everyone together in whatever capacity it was. And, and the, good, the cool thing, interesting thing that's happening, at least in Chile and I think Latin America in general, is that it's kind of, 
it's, it's been a cause that's been very active for many years, but it's kind of moving out of the formal space into more of the kind of common citizens. And that's an interesting thing to see. Yeah. No, great. So it's becoming a little bit more mainstream. So it's a little and also accessible to everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's much more accessible. It's much more kind of imbued with pop culture in a way, you know, which is also bringing side effects that may or not be positive. But it's going to be interesting to see what happens in that sense. Okay, great. Now, you have your own record label. So at the beginning of the interview, you said that, you know, you were able to do this without any kind of like huge sponsorships. Um, Do you think that you were able to really push this festival because you're clearly doing it as independently as you can? And I think it's great that you have your own record label. I, I'm always a fan of, of women who are starting their own <laughs> their own labels. Um, there's a lot more freedom there and independence. Do you think that that really helped as well in terms of pushing the, the festival forward? I think so. I think having to not respond to any institutional kind of bureaucracy made it so easy, man. It was like, it was incredible. Like, you know, we had a small team, maybe four people that we were doing everything. And, you know, these other people were like, because it was as simple as like, maybe we should call so-and-so to come to the panel. And they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah, I'm like just Googling the phone number, calling them and being like, <laughs> hey, so please schedule this date. And then the same with everything, whether it was getting the infrastructure, like getting the furniture for the panels and everything was very thoughtful in terms of like, I really did want it to be like the, like the living room of a house. So I literally like re- just recovered like Persian rugs from everyone I could and made everything like, well, like a little boho place and, had, you know, like mid-century furniture brought in from like a nice store to make it like, you know, flowers, to make it like some sort of encounter where you want to be, you know, it's like, like something personalized. And yeah. yeah, but also more than, the, than that, it's like the fact that it's not something in passing in corporate, you know what I mean? Like we didn't have a screen, we didn't have, you know, uh, like kind of paraphernalia, like branding paraphernalia. It was very simple and very kind of artisanal in that sense. Yeah. Um, and but so I do think that that independence did help the speed of things for sure. It did have other challenges, and that and especially now having had a first version, looking at a second one, I like trust me, it's like super challenging to think how to approach something that's growing yeah. in an independent way. But it was very easy to work like that, and the team that we that came together was tremendously agile and effective and great. And so in that sense, it made it move very fast and very easy. That's fantastic. I love that. Now, I'm not sure if you can comment on this, but one of the the big things, and I think it's really connected with what we've been talking about for the last um, 20 minutes or so, is that one of the growing issues, and I don't think it's a new issue, but it's just something that's being being talked about in the last couple of years, is really the mm-hmm. issue of rape and sexual assault in music festivals. And I'm not sure if mm-hmm. if you're able to see a correlation with like the lack of women's participation in terms of performances mm. and organizing in, in larger music festivals and then also what's going on with women, like the, those who attend and the dangers mm-hmm. that they face. I'm not sure if you're able to comment on that because that is something that is, it is a growing issue. And I think that festival yeah, organizers yeah. in the UK and, and America and now here in Canada are starting to really take that issue seriously. Uh-huh. I mean, it's a very interesting point. Like, I think we talk about, I was at one point that you were going to talk about, discuss in terms of universities, like campuses, but I see this as a totally other, a total other area. It's kind of, right, it's still a, a kind of a hush-hush, I guess, or yeah. isn't very formalized. On the one hand, now that you asked this, on the one hand, I do think that if you do have 
it, it kind of pops into my head the kind of riot girl discourse. Now it's like, why? Because I'm in the mosh pit. Am I going to have to kind of suffer these consequences if I'm a girl and I can't kind of play by the same rules as the guys, you know, that are moshing or something? In, in that respect, I do think what happens if you do have, on the one hand, more performers that are women and kind of congregate a more mixed audience and it's not just like a kind of masculine-based audience and or you have the civic education to have a kind of combined audience that's respectful. But it's crazy because, like, for example, in Chile, we don't even have alcohol available at festivals. We oh. only have in the VIP section. So, for example, they take hardcore... Uh, preventions, and so you can't get a beer in any festival unless you're in a VIP or backstage area. Whereas here, they're available anywhere. Yeah, I, I guess you know, I, I do think that that's an issue. Like the 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 assault and abuse of women in any kind of massive or public scenario, I imagine is is it kind of almost goes back. I imagine to the idea of well, she's wearing a miniskirt, so I can you know, it's a provo- it's a provocation, like. Well, she's drunk wearing a bikini at Coachella, so it's a provocation. Um, So I I guess it has to do with that kind of resistance to behaving a certain way with that provocation and having that responsibility be always on the girl, I imagine. And that means like a kind of transversal thing, whether it's at the festival or the street at 2 a.m. or in in the discotheque or something. So I don't know. I haven't really, I haven't thought about that particularly. And I have to say that I think, at least in Latin America, we're so preemptive to any potential violence that can happen <laughs> anywhere that I feel like, you know, you kind of already anticipate the possibility of, I, even if you wear a certain outfit, like even walking on the street, like I, in here in LA, I'm so comfortable in the sense I can walk that, I can walk with like a see-through shirt and a bra and it won't be an issue. But like, if I'm in downtown Santiago and wearing shorts, I kid you not, it will be an issue if I take the subway, if I walk on the street or something, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, I think it has to do with that. And so what's coming up for Ridosa and for yourself? Because I'm I'm really mm-hmm. excited. I want to go next year if you're if you're organizing it again. We are. We totally are. And um I'm actually like in this I'm literally I'm sitting down in front of the computer trying to figure out certain funding issues. We're we're um I'm at the, a place right now where I do have like a potential lineup kind of fantasy lineup already in mind and reaching out for funding, whether it's like, because basically the thing is we want to naturally have it grow. And I'm just kind of figuring it all out. What the, what the subject matter will be for the panels, what uh, funding we will have in terms of making sure the identity and the curation, the the editorial line is kind of safe. Um, If we can bring someone from the United States, for example, which this is an issue, especially music industry so advanced, it would be wonderful to have whether a keynote or a that can discuss these issues from the United States or Spain, maybe, you know. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of in that stage. But for sure, it, it, it will happen. And, you know, it, I, I, will, I will hopefully in the next couple of months anchor it all down. And that's in terms of Riosa in Chile and hopefully maybe be able to pursue it in other places in Latin America, which is something else that has been kind of, uh, we've been kind of, you know, toying around with and seeing how how fact you know how potential how possible that is and then in terms of uh, my own stuff i just finished my last tour which included riosa inside of it but i finished in uh, colombia and peru in march and i'm kind of in hibernation mode just figuring out the new album and i'm also working on some stuff here in la with some other kind of anglo projects so i don't know it's kind of a, a fun year to 
absorb and figure out and, you know, listen and learn and see what, what comes next. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like an exciting year and I'm absolutely looking forward to what you're going to be organizing. And like I said, I'm so excited and, and just really big fan of yours and also Ridosa. I can't wait. I'm going to start booking oh, my thank ticket. Thank you so much. <laughs> I appreciate so much. And I will let you know beforehand so you can book it with many, with six months in advance and it's cheap. Okay, good. <laughs> so, yes. Absolutely. Thank you. Francisca, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. It's been great talking to you and thank you for the invitation. Black Lives Matter Vancouver, and you're listening to Misrepresent. For years, Dr. Carrie Samsel, an emergency physician and the medical director of the Ottawa Hospital Sexual Assault and Partner Abuse Care Program, noticed a spike of sexual assault patients shortly after mass gatherings such as music festivals and sporting events. In 2014, Dr. Samsel released her research of 204 sexual assault cases, citing that 25% occurred at mass gatherings, 33% of these victims knew their assailants, and 40% suspected they had been drugged before they were assaulted. Based on these findings, the Sexual Assault Network in Ottawa launched Project Soundcheck in 2015 in Ottawa, which trains volunteers to make festivals and other mass gatherings safer for women against rape and sexual assault. I spoke with Project Soundcheck lead consultant Kirilyn Furderber, who is also a feminist rapper and radical trans queer activist, about sexual assault and mass gatherings, the current slow response of festival organizers to recognize rape culture, and what concerned artists and the public can do to further raise this issue and make festivals safer for women. Hi, Kirilyn. Thank you so much for being on Misrepresent Behind the Face of Fierce Woman. How are you? I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me. I'm very um, excited to talk to you today about the project that you're involved with. You're involved with Project Sound, which looks at sexual assault and rape at mass gatherings, especially things like music festivals. Can you talk a little bit about Project Sound, the research that was the, the research that was done that catapulted this project? Yeah, for sure. So in 2013 and 2014, the uh, emergency room staff at Ottawa hospitals were noticing a trend that they thought they had a lot of people coming in um, having experienced sexual violence at and around mass gatherings. So like you said, music festivals, big parties, events like that. And they decided to formally research and document the statistics. And Dr. Carrie Sampson uh, was a lead on that project. And she found that one in four new cases of sexual violence that were reported in Ottawa uh, happened at or around mass gatherings. So that was 
that reflected what we knew anecdotally. People talk about the fact that they've experienced violence in, in crowds and at festivals and things like that. And then we have the, the formal numbers that have been researched. So we were able to move from there to figure out what we can do to prevent and respond to this violence. In the last couple of years, music festivals in the UK and the United States, and also now in Canada, especially in Ottawa, where you're based at, are starting to really take this situation seriously. Why do you think it's taken so long for for festivals to respond? I think there's a lot of reasons. I think sometimes it's just that people don't know. People just, it hasn't been their experience, so they're organizing a festival and they haven't experienced sexual violence. So it's not on their radar as an issue. I think sometimes they do know and they want to pretend that it isn't happening. And there's a lot of reasons that we do that. It's hard to face that sexual violence is happening. We want to believe that, you know, nobody would do that. Um, And then sometimes it can seem like bad PR to talk about it. People don't want to address it. They think maybe no one will know it's happening. But the truth is that in the social media age especially, but also for all time, Women talk to each other and people talk to each other about what they experience. And it, the bad PR risk is becoming more about being the festival that's not doing anything to prevent sexual violence. And I think a lot of event organizers and um, schools and other places, they hesitate to talk about sexual violence because they don't want to associate themselves with the topic. But now the tide is sort of changing and it's now becoming okay. And by talking about it, what they're actually associating themselves with is supporting survivors or preventing violence, which is actually good PR. So hopefully some of that hesitation is going away, but that's due to long, long efforts and long-standing work that's been done by lots of feminist organizers. Exactly. Thank you so much for talking about that. So how does Project Sound prevent or at least educate volunteers and organizers in terms of preventing sexual assault? Can you talk a little bit about the project itself? Yeah. So when the research happened, people in Ottawa knew that something had to be done. And the Ottawa Coalition to End Violence Against Women and the Sexual Assault Network decided to respond to those statistics with a bystander intervention training program. So there's a lot of things you can do when sexual violence is happening. So you can talk to people asking them to not commit sexual violence. So that's like no means no, things like that. You can talk to people about um, how to not be a victim of sexual violence, so telling women to watch their drinks and learn self-defense. But bystander intervention is a third option that isn't really about engaging the people that are about to commit sexual violence or the people that are about to be at risk for experiencing it. It's all those other people that are there standing around watching a show or volunteering at a festival. And what we do through Project Soundcheck is we try and engage all those people so they can be part of the prevention. So the way that works is we go around to music festivals and other large events, and we train the volunteers and staff before the festival happens. And we give them skills and resources so that they can step in and intervene in a non-violent, non-escalating, non-confrontational way to help prevent sexual violence or step in and offer support if some violence has already occurred. When you launched this project last year, what was the response afterwards? Were people, you know, were people receptive of the project? Were they welcoming? What was the response like? So the response to Project Soundcheck has been really great. And in the anti-violence against women community, we knew that this was an issue, but we weren't really sure how the community would respond. Um, But it's been really, really positive. Right away, we had a lot of major festivals 
be great allies in this with us. So we had a lot of festivals welcoming us, contacting us even, and asking for resources, bringing us on and giving them, giving us lots of time and lots of access to their volunteers and staff, which was great. So the uh, response to the 2015 pilot year has been so good that we're hoping to double the amount of festivals that we reach in 2016. Okay, so that's what I just wanted to segue into that then. The festival season is going is just about to explode throughout North America and, and probably around the world as well. So yeah. what's um, what are you guys looking forward to for Project Soundcheck? Well, for 2016, we have even more resources to provide to music festivals. And we're expanding beyond just music festivals to also include some sporting events and other community events. Based on all the feedback that we got from volunteers in 2015, we've made some resources, so manuals and handouts in French and English um, to provide to our uh, volunteers and staff that we train this year. So it's going to be even bigger this year. Project Soundcheck is going to be in more places, talking to more people, providing resources in more formats, and that's thanks to our funding from Crime Prevention Ottawa. So it's, we're really excited about the response we had, and we're taking really seriously the feedback that volunteers gave us about what parts of the training spoke to them, what they still need more information about, and uh, we're hoping that we're going to reach even more people this year. Okay, thank you for that. Now, one last question. In terms of those who are concerned about music festivals and the safety of women who attend, if there is nothing right now set in place, like if there, if there isn't a project sound in their local festivals, what can people do to get, to get this issue really out there and get people more and more concerned and to raise awareness about this? Because not every festival in Canada has um, these projects in place yet. So what can people do? Yeah, yeah well, even in Ottawa, um, you know, we can't be everywhere. So one of my hopes for Project Soundcheck is that I train people with skills that they can use at a particular festival, but also skills that are widely applicable. So that even if they never use any of their bystander intervention skills at the festival I'm training them at, they might use them six months later, way after they've left the festival grounds and they're at a bar or a party or someone's house. So reading up on how bystander intervention works is one thing that you can do. It sounds really simple, but honestly, just being ready, thinking a little bit in advance about what you might say if you saw something that looked uncomfortable to you. And that's a big hurdle for people to overcome. So just thinking about before you go out what your safety plan might be if you saw someone that needed help. And it can be as simple as having a phrase ready, like walking up to someone and saying, hey, how's your night going? Do you need anything? How are you doing? So with, even if you don't have a training system in place in a festival near you, you can act as a person or a small group with a few of your friends or other volunteers to step in and support somebody if they need help. I would also ask people, if you're attending a festival, if you're planning to be a vendor at a festival or be an artist or a DJ at a festival, ask the organizers, what's your safety plan to keep women and other people safe at this event? Because... When I contact festivals and ask them, can we come in and talk about this issue? It makes my job a lot easier if it's already on their radar. If they're thinking, oh yeah, we've got a lot of requests for this. This is important to our community. Perfect. Okay, well, thank you so much, Kira. And I really do commend the work that Project Sound is doing, not just for festivals, but for mass gatherings. And I really hope that this catches on across the country. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. And if people want more information, they can follow us at Fan Ottawa on Twitter or use the hashtag Project Soundcheck.
Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to this special episode, Uproar, Women and Music Festivals, featuring Francisca Valenzuela and Carolyn Ferderer. For more information about my guests, check out franciscavalenzuela.com and sanottawa.com forward slash projects forward slash project dash soundcheck. You can listen to past episodes featuring extraordinarily fierce women at my website, misrepresentpodcast.com, and don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Just Call Me Char and at misrepresent for future episodes and guests. Intro and outro music by Adam Seltzer with additional music by Steve Combs and the Arthur Pryor's band. Fiercest thank you to my guests, Francisca Valenzuela and Carolyn Ferderber. Shoutouts to the Sexual Assault Network in Ottawa, Elise Cloma, Jessica Liao, Mitch Lee, Jordan Leesk, and Stephanie Rangel. And of course, thank you, fierce listeners and supporters. Tune in next week for another fierce episode featuring another fierce woman. I'm your host, Charlene Sayo. Represent Behind the Face of Fierce Woman.